praise Jesus. Praise his name. He is a king worthy of all praise. He is the king who came and gave his life for us. He's the king that we get to bask and celebrate in all because of what he's done for us in the gospel. Yeah, one of my favorite memories as a kid growing up uh, was going to basketball games at Rupp Arena uh, for University of Kentucky basketball games. My dad was the public address announcer at these games. And as I would go, I would sit up in the top in section 223, really high up, and I'd watch these great players, these great teams. And at the end of the game, I would have to go and find my dad down at the court. So I would go against the grain of the crowd, and I would zigzag my way down, and the security would always stop me and say, you can't go any farther here, buddy. And they would there, I would wait. And my dad would work his way over walking through crowds of people. He put his arm on the security, the security man's shoulder and said, hey, he's with me. A great inconvenience to himself, desiring my presence to be with him. My dad brought me to himself and took me to a place I never got to be. And I got to walk out on that court 10 feet tall, looking at that security guard like, what's up, buddy? All right. That's a picture of what Christ has done for us in the gospel. That a great inconvenience to himself, at great sacrifice, the Father desired your presence. God desired you. And he works a way for you to say, you're coming with me. You belong to me. You see, the gospel is where God invites you and invites me into a relationship with him and we get to be with him forever. We get to go and be in his presence, a place where no one else can go unless they know the Father. Well, in the gospel, you are invited to trust in Christ and to have a relationship with the Father, and you get to go where no one else can go on their own. And when you believe the gospel, God makes you alive forever. That is the Apostle Paul's point in Romans chapter 6. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. The book of Romans is the Apostle Paul's magnum opus, a theological treaty in which he unpacks the beauty and the power of the gospel. We've already seen as a faith family, as we were walking through the book of Acts in chapter 9, how the Apostle Paul came to faith in Christ, that it was there on the Damascus road that Jesus met him and humbled him and brought him to faith in Jesus. He writes this letter to the church at Rome, seeking to strengthen them in the gospel, to remind them about what is true. As bedrock beneath their feet, he's letting them know you are made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. He begins his letter in chapter one by saying all Gentiles are unrighteous. In Romans chapter two, he says all Jews are unrighteous. Romans chapter three, in case you didn't get Romans one and Romans two, the whole world is unrighteous. But there is no one who seeks God, no one who pursues after him. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
You see, the good news of the gospel only makes sense against the backdrop of how far we fall short of God's perfect standard. But there's good news in the gospel, Romans 4. You can be made right with God by faith, just like Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. His faith made him right with God. But Romans 5, our faith is not in Abraham. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, when you put your faith in Jesus, he changes everything about you. The old passes away. Behold, all things become brand new. And you have Romans 6, a new life. When you put your faith in Jesus, whether it's at the age of six at VBS or at a kitchen table as a teenager or on the side of the road as a young adult or even a senior adult center, wherever it is, when you put your faith in Christ, you have a new life. He is your identity. That's the argument he's making there in Romans chapter six. We have been buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Our lives have been changed by the gospel. And with our new identity in Christ, we have this life that goes on forever. We are indeed forever alive. And that's where we pick up here in Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 8. And the scripture says this, Now if we died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Easter is the celebration of what God has done for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For all people who turn from their sin and trust in Christ by faith, indeed, death has been defeated. Hell is taken off the table. Sin has been defeated forever. The judgment that we deserved fell squarely upon Christ at the cross. For there he was buried in a tomb, but only for three days. For on the third day, Jesus came back to life. He defeated death once and for all. That Jesus is forever alive. And so too are all who trust in him by faith. If you are in Christ, if you have believed this gospel, then you've been made alive forever. This is who you are. But what does this look like? How does it how does it work out that we who are made forever alive, how do we live that out? What does it look like here in the text? Well, Paul gives us two ways. He gives us many more, but let me show you two ways here in the text that we are made forever alive. The first way, being forever alive, means Jesus is with us forever. Jesus is with us forever. Verse 8. Paul says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Twice in verse 8, Paul uses the word with. I love that preposition. It means to come alongside. With, with Christ, like a friend coming alongside you for a journey. Paul's argument is that as Christ followers, you died with Christ, then you will live with Christ. 
When Jesus died on the cross, you died with him. If you are in Christ, you already died. Your old self died with Christ. Your pre-Jesus identity, your pre-Jesus self died with Christ at the cross. Paul says it like this in Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That indeed Jesus gave himself for us at the cross and those who turn from sin and trust in Christ, we died with Christ. Kenneth Bruce died at the age of 18. My old self was crucified with Christ when I met Jesus and he changed my heart and everything became brand new. You see, when you meet Jesus, your old self dies with Christ. When our first parents sinned in the garden, there was a separation between God and man. There was no longer union. There was no longer friendship or relationship between God and man. God's holiness and man's sinfulness could not be reconciled. Animal sacrifices could not reconcile us. Obedience to the Old Testament law could not reconcile us. Our good works could not reconcile us. God had to do something to bring mankind back to himself. Enter Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man. Through his death, he has made a way for us to be united with God forever. What we see in Romans 6 is the doctrine of union with Christ. Growing up as a kid, I used to love the movie, The Goonies. It was a fantastic movie. I, I, my, these favorite characters, Chunk and Sloth. All right. Sloth was this big burly man, big strong muscles, Hulk-like strength, but he had a deformed face, very repulsive. And throughout the movie, he builds a friendship with an 11-year-old boy named Chunk, big chubby kids. Awesome. Great story. Now, at the end of the movie, now listen, I'm not breaking rules here. It came out in 1985, okay? You had your chance to see it. At the end of the movie, Sloth's family gets arrested and they go to prison. His mom and two brothers. He doesn't have anybody to take care of him. And it's there in this precious moment on the beach with the sunrise, Chunk says to Sloth, I love you, Sloth. You're coming to live with me now. And it's this precious moment. I thought, man, that's a picture of what Christ has done with us. That spiritually, our sin makes us repulsive to God's holiness. That we are spiritual orphans. We, we, we're out without family. We're without love. But God, through the gospel, pursues after us. That in Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, God goes on record to show us how much he loves us and makes a way so that we can enter into a relationship with him forever. That indeed, he says, I love you. You're coming to live with me now. You belong to me. You are with me. 
That's what Paul is driving home here, is that because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you have been united to Christ forever. Charles Spurgeon said it so well when he said, there is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it, the happier we are. In a world that is groping in the darkness, looking for identity, God tells his children, this is who you are. You belong to me. You are mine. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother. He is not ashamed to call you his sister. He has pursued you. He has come after you with his great love. And in Christ Jesus, he promises, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Now, for some of you, you're miserable. Deep down in your heart, you know your life is broken. You've covered it up maybe this morning with pastel colors. But deep down, you know that there's brokenness in your life. And that's true for all of us outside of Jesus, is that our lives are broken. So you see, when your life is not centered on the person and work of Jesus, your life will come crumbling down. You're building your life upon quicksand. It's a foundation that cannot hold. But the beauty of the gospel is that God knows of your brokenness. He knows your sin. He knows your disobedience. And he still loves you. He calls you to repent, to turn away from that life, to turn away from sin, to turn away from yourself, and to turn to someone, the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust in the Savior and surrender your life completely to him. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that We are so loved loved by God that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even when you and I were living in disobedience, even when you and I would shake our fist in his face, God still loved us and he has pursued us in the gospel and he has pursued after you. Maybe this morning you're just like, I don't know God. I've gone to church, I've done religious things, But deep down in my heart, I know that there is no Christ there. Today, you are invited to believe the gospel. That those of you watching online or engaging with us from room 206, or those of you in this room, I want you to know that Christ is ready to transform your heart if you will humble yourself and trust in him by faith that you believe that he went and bled and died on the cross on your behalf, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day for you, that if you will trust in him, he will receive you and he will accept you forever. You are so loved by God that when you believe the gospel, you are born again. Your heart is transformed. God unites you to himself forever. You see, Easter is God's reminder of his love for you, seen through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. So being forever alive means Jesus is with us forever. But the second thing we see in the text is that Jesus defeated sin and death for us forever. Verse 9 Paul says, Christ 
having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. You see, Jesus is the savior of the world who died never to die again. That Jesus' death was a once for all time, verse 10, kind of death that paid for your sin in full. That there is no other sacrifice necessary to atone for your sin. There's no more need for the shedding of animal blood in the temple. There's no other act of God that is necessary for mankind to come and experience forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. Jesus came to purchase your sin and to set you free. And his shed blood on the cross was sufficient and powerful enough to pay for your sin in full. This is what God offers to you in the gospel. Is that death and sin have lost their power through the work of Christ. Jesus told Martha at the graveside of her brother Lazarus in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And Jesus then calls Lazarus out from the grave, showing that he alone has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he has authority even over death itself. I was reminded of this this past Friday when I performed a funeral for a family here in our church. And I was reminded once again, this gospel is precious. We need Jesus. Now, I'm not very good at math. But unless Jesus returns, 100% of you are going to die. And what happens next is the most important thing to you. And the question is, do you know Jesus? There's nothing more important than this, is do you know Christ? If you don't, oh, don't leave this campus today without surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That we're not just here to go through the religious motions. We're here to gather around this person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for a purpose and it was to purchase your sin and to bring you to himself. That he came and gave his life for you at the cross. And if you would humble yourself and trust in him by faith, receive and say, Jesus, my life is messed up apart from you, but I believe you died for me. And my heart and my life are yours. Oh, Jesus, would you take me and you can have me. I'm yours. You come to that point in time in your life and he will receive you. For he is the Savior who has power over sin and over death. If you backpedaled a little bit in Romans chapter 6, back to verse 5, it's Paul says, For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly, I love that word, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And beloved, if you've been united to Christ, his life is now counted as your life. His death is now counted as your death. His burial is now your burial. And his resurrection is now your resurrection. You see, the worst possible thing 
that could ever happen to you has already happened 2,000 years ago. That Jesus died and you died with him. And now the best possible thing that could ever happen to you will happen. You will be raised on the last day. That Jesus is the one who has secured your resurrection. Jesus' resurrection guarantees your resurrection. This is why Christ followers all over the world today are basking and celebrating in all that Christ has accomplished. That the... Christ has made a way for sin and death, our greatest enemies, to be destroyed. That if you're in Christ, death no longer has the last word over you. Jesus does. Jesus has the last word over your life. And he has united himself to you forever, sealed by his blood, confirmed by the empty tomb. That Jesus has conquered sin on the cross. He has defeated death through his resurrection. He's exercised dominion over sin and death for you forever. Which means eternal life is not just what happens when you die. Eternal life is what you have right now. If you are in Christ, you have resurrection power now. You are experiencing eternal life now. If you believe the gospel, this is what you possess. And Christ has purchased it for you through his death and through his resurrection. So Kenneth, in light of all of this, what are you calling us to? Well, this is what Paul calls us to in verse 11. It's your impact point. You're forever alive in Christ. Therefore, live for Jesus. How could we not? In light of what he's done for us, in light of the fact he's taken away our sin, he's taken death uh, off the table in which now we live forever. That though there's coming a day in which you and I will take our last breath unless Christ returns, that's not the end of the story. Jesus has the last word over us. So until that day comes, we live for Christ. We honor Christ Verse 11, Paul says, you too consider, reckon, count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That indeed sin itself has been defeated and you have the power, beloved, to say no to sin. In Christ, you're not a victim to your sin. You're more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are someone who has power, resurrection power. You already have it. And now you get to go and live this out for the glory of Christ. What an honor that you and I have that we get to go live a life that honors Jesus, that points to him and what he's done for us through the gospel. He was an insurrectionist, convicted murderer, And he was on death row. There he sat in his prison, possibly even eating his last meal, awaiting execution until he heard a Roman soldier opens the door and says, Barabbas? You're not going to believe this. Someone 
is taking your place. You're free to go. The innocent one is taking the place of the guilty. How did Barabbas respond? Scripture doesn't tell us. But what I do know is that you and I, we're like Barabbas. We've committed cosmic treason. We've sinned against a holy God. And we're on death row, awaiting final execution. But today, a preacher is here to tell you, you're not going to believe this. 2,000 years ago, someone took your place. You're free to go. That Jesus came, and through his death, and through his resurrection, has made a way for you to live forever. That you, both now and forever, are alive all because of Christ.